This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Bamboo HR. Do you run a business or work in human resources? Bamboo HR can manage all your employee data and automate countless tasks in one easy-to-use system. Get an extended 14-day free trial at bamboohr.com/fool. That's bamboohr.com/fool. It's Wednesday, October 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hale. Joining me in studio today, the one and only Andy Cross. Thanks for being here. Chris, it's a pleasure. Happy Cannabis Canada Day. Happy, yes, to our friends to the north. Up north. Uh, one of our listeners uh, in Canada sent me an email, and it was he took a photo of the front page of the Toronto Globe and Mail newspaper, and it was... The banner Extensive. headline. The banner headline was "Day One <laughs> and a Marijuana Leaf." And yeah, exciting like, times up there with the legalization of recreational cannabis. So, yeah, yeah, be very interesting to very see exciting. what happens with all that. Yeah. Um, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to take a look at Big Blue. We're going to start with Netflix, though. Third quarter report for Netflix. Forget the revenue. Forget the profits. It's all about the subscribers, right. and they crush this number, adding just under. Seven million new subscribers. Chris, it was a great uh, quarter for Netflix. Uh, on this, pretty much every metric they give guidance on, they beat and they give guidance, and they have a lot of transparency in their numbers. And it was extensive, like you said, seven million net subscribers versus five million expe- expected. They added more than one million net additions. Of, subscri- of subscribers on the U.S. side and almost six million on the international side. Remember, it was just three months ago when investors were really concerned that the growth of Netflix had started to tailor off a little bit, and they came up a little bit short on the subscriber line. Clearly, this quarter they knocked it out of the park. Uh, streaming revenues were up 36 percent. Average paid membership numbers were up 25 percent, and that paid membership one is what they really are now going to focus on. And the average selling price is up. Eight percent. So overall, really impressive quarter by uh, the streaming uh, content leader of the world. The stock is up today, and year to date, it, yes, it's down from the highs of a few months ago. But year to date, it's up eighty percent. I mean, is it expensive? Well, is it because someone like me who is not a shareholder and has never been a shareholder, I look at that and I, I got to be honest, my gut instinct is, well, I can't buy it now. Well, I, you know, I, add, I added some to it the, earlier this year when the when the stock got knocked around after their uh, the last quarter when the stock um, had fallen, you know, 10, 15 percent. I mean, when you think about this business, it's a hundred and fifty billion dollar market cap um, in the global media landscape that they are playing in and competing. And the success they are seeing, I think, with the leadership team of Reed Hastings, who owns about one and a half percent of the business, um, they they have extensive growth opportunities around the globe. Clearly, the U.S. is the slower growing market, so international is really where they're focusing on, and they're spending eight to twelve billion dollars per year on content that they are developing. And so much of that is turning into in-house content development. They have hundreds and hundreds of original programming now. They're going to spend up to a billion dollars on an Albuquerque, New Mexico production studio over the next 10 years, where they're going to develop a lot of their individual content. Clearly, they are becoming a content and distribution king around the world. And they're starting to focus more and more on these on these individual markets um, around the world. So it's not just US. I look at that and I say, you know what? For a one to two percent of your 
portfolio, I think Netflix is well worth the addition in there. Yeah, Jim Mueller was in uh, the studio recently, and we talked about that acquisition of the studios in right. New Mexico. But and just like you, he brought up their expansion, particularly in Europe. I think they have some new studios in Spain, uh, or recently yeah. new studios in Spain. So it's it's really going above and beyond. Um, what I think some people had expected in terms of not just their their global expansion because they've they've proven that they can get subscribers around the world, but it's the it's the production side of things and their ability now with a network of studios in the United States and out that they're able to go to film producers, showrunners, etc., and say, well, wait a minute. If you're looking to go overseas, talk to us because we've got some options for you. And that's really important, Chris, because over in the European Union, uh, there are regulatory changes in play that um, at least 30% of eventually at least 30% of your content of your library for a streaming service will have to be European focused and European produced. So, they are going into those markets. It's also having an impact on what's happening competitively because we saw Comcast go off after Sky aggressively and spend a lot of money for Sky, up to $40 billion for Sky to be able to get that distribution platform. So, when I add it all together, yes, the free cash flow that they, or lack of free cash flow has been a concern as they continue Continue to spend more and more money. They saw we did see this quarter their operating profit picture improve, and a lot of that was some timing. They have a lot of flexibility when it comes to how to manage these costs, and they've been doing that quite well. And they talked about that, and they've 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 have some nice expectation for profitability next year, and they're they're they're. Cash burn for next year is actually they think now will be flat to this year, so it's not going to worsen. That's good news for for shareholders. They're going to continue to invest in these platforms. I think they will be able to continue to grow grow their subscriber base at a rapid clip, and certainly more rapid than some of the established players in there. And that's all good news for shareholders. It's interesting to hear about the cash burn because ahead of this earnings report, we saw analysts. At places like Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, essentially cut their price target on Netflix in part because of, yes, rising interest rates, but also perceived increased expenses. Because I think a lot of people, just in a vacuum, expected that, well, look, they're going to spend more on content next year than they did this year, because that's been the pattern for a while. Well, and it probably will be. The nice thing, what we saw a little bit this quarter, and they talked about this on the conference call, is just to be able to manage these costs. They have some flexibility in how they... It's 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 taking across the cost across their entire platform. That's a real advantage that Netflix brings as a streaming service. Their profit margins, compared to the likes of Comcast, for example, are half. But Comcast's legacy costs are so heavy, and their revenues are only growing in the single digits. And I own both Comcast and Netflix in my portfolio um, for different reasons. The cost structure is so different that Netflix, long term, when you look out five, ten years, the profitability picture and the ramp for them is so much more impressive than the likes of some of the established players. I think that's really what subscribers are buying. So it's the ability to be able to grow the subscriber base, streaming revenues, spread those costs out by offering a product that is really superior in the marketplace that's that investors are excited about, and eventually that will show up on the um, on the cash flow line. I assume you own shares of Comcast because you're from Pennsylvania, and I think that's a law in Pennsylvania that you have to own shares. Yeah, the Roberts family, the arm of the Roberts family goes very long. <laughs> hey, this is this is a minor thing, but it's just something I'm curious about with respect to Netflix. Where's the shop? 
They, remember they, they they had some headlines a year or so ago where it's like, oh, they they had posted a job because that was always. I shouldn't say always, but for a long time, that was my thing with Netflix. Why they've got these successful shows that they are producing and they own? Why aren't they just making some gear? Why aren't they t-shirts, hats, mugs, etc.? HBO does a great job, not just with original programming, but of selling any Game of Thrones paraphernalia that you want to get your hands on. HBO is happy to sell that to you. Where's the shop? Yeah, maybe they should talk to the Motley Fool. We have some pretty nice <laughs> swag that uh, they could learn a little bit from. So. You know what? When the Motley Fool podcast swag shop is selling more, is up and running more quickly and selling more than the Netflix yep. shop, that's my only point of concern with Netflix as a business. You know, it is interesting from the marketing side, Chris. And they talked a little bit this on the call and dialing back some of the uh, marketing tactics and really letting the content speak. And I think that's important. I think it actually is a very big driving point for Netflix to grow their subscriber counts, which are which is they have the content library and they continue to add and add that content library and it's so diverse. And and the price point for members is so low compared to the competition that it really is a competitive advantage that is becoming harder and harder to match. And now it's actually becoming a very profitable marketing component for them that it will allow them to maybe not have to spend so much on traditional marketing to grow subscribers. Shares of IBM are hitting a 52-week low after IBM's third quarter report. The Big Blue had grown revenue for three straight quarters, and that streak is over now. And to the extent that a $120 billion company can be in trouble, I look at IBM and I just, not that IBM is in danger of going away, but this is a stalled vehicle on the side of the road. Well, it sure is stalled, Chris. And uh, there had been some. Some faint lights at the end of the tunnel here over the past couple quarters when they've been able to grow their quarterly revenues and that that flipped this quarter. And the strategic imperatives, which is really their cloud business, their data analytics business, uh, saw some stumbling blocks. Their growth slowed. Their um, the drop in signing. They saw a drop in new signings in that business. So that really stung a little bit. Uh, it's it's been a very tough go for IBM. They their their best business this quarter and really a lot this year is their legacy mainframe fame business that will t- tend to tailor off next year. Um, uh, there's a lot of excitement in their strategic imperatives, in in the investments they're making, in crypto asset um, uh, investments they're making. When it comes to cloud computing, when it comes to data analytics, the Watson side. Uh, but that's just a really long putt. Um, I, for for this, I really want to be a believer just because the story of IBM. But I think I don't own shares, and I think following the the direction of Warren Buffett, who exited most of the. IBM positions in Berkshire Hathaway, I think, is the way to go with this one. Yeah, that's uh, in, in some ways that was uh, pretty damning when Buffett sold out of that. When you consider some of the other things that he's held on to, right. um, but you know, you mentioned Watson, and it's that's the thing that's a little surprising to me. Just that, yes, there are lots of large tech companies that have cloud businesses. To my knowledge. IBM is the one that's got the best, most recognizable brand. Just the Watson brand, what they've done with that, and the fact that they can't figure out a way to leverage that into a significantly growing business and therefore a significantly growing share price right. uh, is troubling. Well, it's also it's it, there are 360,000 employees at IBM. I think is the number. I mean, it is just we've seen we've seen this with General Electric, right? Like these big legacy. 
enterprises, it's very hard to get these things turned around in ways, especially in a market today that IBM is operating in, where it has aggressive competition, it has very smart competition, upstart competition that's been around and doing things very aggressively. IBM lacks a little of that cachet. I agree, the Watson brand is extremely powerful, and it's been a nice little integrate, a nice integration into IBM's business, but they haven't seen enough of the big wins to be able to grow the strategic imperatives. And the fact that it slowed a little bit this quarter, when that was really the bright spot, that investors were waiting for. They were expecting it to be north of 50% of revenues. It fell it fell short of that this quarter on a trailing basis. So, the, just the momentum is not with IBM, and clearly, investors are, are selling off the stock today. It's still a big business, but uh, if you own a small business, or a medium-sized business, or you work in human resources, you already know how crazy it can be. Spreadsheets, paperwork, employee issues, etc. And that's where Bamboo HR can help. Bamboo HR can manage all your employee data and automate countless tasks in one easy-to-use system so you can focus on people. And right now, Bamboo HR is giving our dozens of listeners a special extended free trial. So try out Bamboo HR for a full 14 days for free by going to bamboohr.com slash fool. Again, that's bamboohr.com slash fool. I could never do that. I, like if I if I were suddenly thrust in the position where it's like we need you to head up HR, I'd be like, great. I'm for first order businesses. I'm going to bamboohr.com. You would need as much, as much bamboo I, as you can get. Chris. I need all the help I can get. Uh, our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Jason Long, who writes: Your analysts do extensive research on companies, and there are plenty of resources out there to get information. I'm wondering where would you recommend that I look if I wanted to find information about a public company's specific initiatives, future plans, or overarching goals during a certain time period? That is to say, how do I figure out what the most important things the business is working on this year? It's a great question. It's a great question, and I would say three. Very direct places. And first, I would check out the company's website. So many companies now are, are um, offering up their strategic plans or their thinking or their focus, and you can just get a good feel from what the uh, website is talking about, what the business is talking about. So, first, there, part of that website experience tends to be an investor relations area. So, you can go there to have a, a perspective on what they are talking about from the business. Netflix's investor relations um, area is extremely good, and they're very transparent as how they talk about their um, initiatives, including a whole section on long term. Investments that they're making. So, I would say the website part of the investor part of that is the investor relations department first. Second, uh, the the annual report. So you can look up the annual report typically from the website. They all now list them the annual report. So you can look at the uh, initiatives and they're talking about in the business. So I would say the annual report's a great spot. And then third, if you want to go look at the quarterly conference calls uh, that sometimes are published uh, on the Motley Fool website, other websites. Sometimes the companies publish them themselves. Sometimes you can access them and listen to them. Uh, most companies now open those up. So. Among those three areas, Chris, I think you get a very good feel of what management is talking about when it comes to the strategic initiatives that they're working on, and what their expectations are, and how much progress they've made of those over the years. And particularly on the conference calls, and as you said, Motley Fool, Fool.com does this. There are other sites that do this. Publish the transcripts. I mean, Jason Moser from time to time will just go to a conference call transcript, and he'll just 
search for a particular word or phrase to see, like, okay, I'm looking at this company, and I think uh, I'm curious to find out what they're doing in this one particular area. Let me just see how many times are they talking about? How many times are they asked, and what sort of answers are they offering up? Yeah, that's a great uh, point, Chris, because it allows regular investors, people who want to know more, to 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 use the conference call transcript as a way to search for things very specifically. There's been fun stories about uh, the growth on people and uh, executives using terms like AI yeah. or using cloud computing and how that has just exploded no matter what business you're in. I mean, you can be in a floor manufacturing business now and they're talking about AI and cloud computing. So, um, and sometimes you get a good sense, especially if you read those from quarter to quarter or look at them, you get a good sense of how to sniff out, um, let's just say, a little bit of horse manure from <laughs> what is actually true sometimes because uh, that is one factor we do love to see in management teams is they state what they're going to do and they actually go out and deliver it or they exceed that and that's that's been so impressive with the likes of Netflix over the last 3 to 4 years when they've faced those doubters and Reed has been very bold out there talking about what they want to do um, from the content side as well as the distribution side and they've actually backed that up with deliverables Andy Cross thanks for being here thanks Chris it's been great as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.